Before I start this week's podcast, just a quick note to thank the photographer who created the image on the podcast cover art. It's Sora Shimazaki at Pixels. Hello and welcome to This Week in Financial Crime. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. Another busy week this week, so let's crack on. We'll cover sanctions at the top of the list again, with more stories relating to those being carried out in the UK and overseas. We look at the FATF, which has produced its mutual evaluation report on France. The National Crime Agency has published its annual plan for 2022-23. And... I'll say a little bit about an upcoming special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly. Let's start with Russian sanctions. We start with sanctions again, as ever. The scale and speed of the sanctions is really starting to slow globally, as most notable industries and individuals seem to have been sanctioned by now. Certainly there are more news stories relating uh, to it, but the narrative is shifting. It's shifting away from the sanctions itself to the repercussions of the sanctions and likely Russian responses as the sanctions begin to bite deeper at the Russian economy and society. So this week, there are new sanctions to discuss, certainly, but also, particularly from the EU, talk of a readjustment to the new normal. Let's start with UK sanctions this week. So first, on the 19th of May, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, together with the Department for Transport, announced new sanctions on Russian airlines. The affected airlines are Euroflot, Ural Airlines and Rossia Airlines, and they will not be able to sell their unused landing slots at United Kingdom airports. The landing slots, which have become redundant following the invasion of Ukraine and the imposition of sanctions, would have a residual value if they could be sold to other airlines. The government estimates their worth to be up to £50 million. Now, landing slots are a crucial part of an airline's business assets, and tend to be the last asset disposed of when an airline is circling the drain. They are a good asset since the costs associated with their maintenance and operation are fairly low, they're in fact they're close to nil. Airlines seek to maintain slots even where it may not otherwise appear economically viable to maintain them. And certainly this announcement, even if one might dis- dispute the true value of the asset in a kind of post-Covid air travel economy, is a significant direct strike at the assets of Russian airlines. HM Treasury has announced another license relating to a sanctioned Russian bank's insolvency this week. This time, the bank is Amsterdam Trade Bank VB, which is a subsidiary of the Russian Alpha Bank JSC, a UK and US sanctioned bank. Under the terms of the license, ATB may make payments for its basic needs, including for remuneration, allowances or employee pensions, tax liabilities, payments for goods and services, and, of course, the receipt or payment of or payment processing, which relates to insolvency proceedings relating to the bank. The license expires on the 12th of May next year. To aid, to aid with the reporting of sanctions evasion or weaknesses in sanctions reporting, the Financial Conduct Authority has provided information on how this might be done. Uh, where an individual has concerns about their current or former employer, where on the financial services or other registers actually, 
then they may speak confidentially to the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority whistleblowing team. Alternatively, where it is an authorised firm self-reporting where anonymity isn't an issue, then SUP 15 should be used. Where a firm or professional has information about another firm where suspected or actual sanctions evasion has occurred, then the misconduct form should be used. In terms of the information which could be provided, it's not just evasion, whether actual or suspected, but also any weaknesses in sanctions systems and controls, together with information on the methods believed to be in use by individuals or firms to breach the sanctions regime. The report will be investigated and may result in action being taken by the regulator or other agencies. However, where no sanctions breach is found, the information may nevertheless assist the regulator in generating a risk profile in relation either to the firm or individual concerned or actually the sectors in which they operate. Now, I end this week's discussion of the United Kingdom's sanctions regime with a story that actually doesn't directly concern the United Kingdom because it concerns sanctions which have been imposed by the Canadian government. On Friday the 20th of May, Canada announced sanctions against the Russian billionaire, with close links to Putin, Alexander Lebedev. For the UK, replicating these sanctions on Lebedev, a former KGB agent, creates a political difficulty for the United Kingdom Prime Minister, since Lebedev's son, Evgeny Lebedev, is good friends with Johnson. That's Boris Johnson, the United Kingdom Prime Minister. Alexander Lebedev owns two newspapers, namely The Independent and The London, Even uh, London Evening Standard. He also has extensive financial interests in the Russian Federation. Anyway, it should be another interesting week on the certainly politics front, but also the UK sanctions front, if pressure does go and the Labour Party does seem to be putting some pressure on the government to sanction Alexander Lebedev be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks. Now, beyond the United Kingdom, the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine has generated a mass of sanctioned stories, as might be expected. But one of the other common themes in the media following the invasion is the cyber attack threat, which has increased significantly since February this year. February, of course, was when the invasion of Ukraine began. There have been attacks on infrastructure and threatened cyber attacks on Finland and Sweden following their application to join NATO. And as I said last week, there was even a threat on the Eurovision Song Contest, for goodness sake. Anyway, in light of this, the Council of the EU this week announced that it was to extend the joint uh, the cyber attack sanctions regime introduced in 2019. The framework provided by the joint EU diplomatic response to malicious cyber activities framework allows sanctions to be imposed to prevent, discourage, deter and respond to malicious cyber attacks targeting the integrity and security of the EU and its member states. The regime, because it's been extended, will now end on the 18th of May 2025. At the moment, the list contains a mixture of Chinese and Russian nationals who are said to have carried out cyber attacks on EU member states institutions or other agencies domiciled in the EU. To be frank, if this threat to carry out cyber attacks on any institution which seems to support Ukraine and the Ukrainian regime against the Russian invasion, if this threat does materialize, it is an important, important act, I suppose, to extend this 
sanctions to uh, this list of sanctions to anybody who is thinking about committing a cyber attack against the EU, its institutions or its member states. There's a further minor point allied to this, and that is that the European Central Bank has issued a supervision newsletter this week, published it on the 18th of May, highlighting issues following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The challenge of the invasion has meant that all supervisory stakeholders needed to respond in unison to the threats which were generated from a number of different fronts. Uh, the new reality, it said, should be approached in three steps. Step one, setting up crisis management structures and identifying immediate risks. Step two, expanding analysis of possible direct and higher order impacts. And step three, which is ongoing, adapting medium-term supervisory engagement and strategy. Of these three steps, step one reflected the continuing risk of cyber attacks. It's big news at the moment. The newsletter, uh, the newsletter explained how supervisory authorities had intensified their monitoring of cyber risk activities, noting, somewhat curiously, that banks' cyber risk remained unexpectedly low at that early stage. Therefore, the newsletter reminds banks that even if a cyber risk has not yet materialised, and targets, to be frank, do seem to be some, somewhat more widely dispersed away from the financial services sector, at least for the time being, banks should nevertheless stay on high alert because they will be in the firing lines of these cyber hackers. The newsletter, the newsletter concludes with the reminder for the banks that ongoing monitoring and ready-to-use emergency plans should allow them to take swift countermeasures if needed. Now, that's, a, that's it for sanctions this week. Let's move away from that and start looking at money laundering. A bit of money laundering news this week. First bit of news is that the FATF has once... Uh, the FATF is the Financial Action Task Force, of course, has once again updated its consolidated assessment ratings. The updated ratings, again, are available on the FATF website. On which point, and allied to the Financial Action Task Force, this week the Financial Action Task Force published its mutual evaluation report on anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing measures in relation to France. This is what it's known for. We've mentioned this in previous weeks. Now, generally, and what will come as no surprise, France received a good report. It noted that France has a good understanding of its money laundering risks and a very good understanding of the terrorist financing risks. France, as you will know, suffered two major terrorist attacks in the first decade of the 21st century, in Paris in 2015 and in Nice in 2016. The report notes that particularly following the 2015 Paris attacks, that France has been particularly active in combating terrorist finance. It's been a top policy objective of successive administrations and has produced what the report describes as very good results. On this matter, it concludes, prosecution, investigation and intelligence authorities collaborate effectively and in a structured manner, including for the purpose of exchanging information. Terrorism investigations systematically include a terrorist financing component. Now, notwithstanding the positive elements of the report, and it is overwhelmingly positive about uh, the approach France takes to anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing, so notwithstanding the positive elements of the report, it did highlight some areas where improvements could be achieved. First, a lack of specialised investigators is identified as a limitation which impacts the timescales of individual investigations, especially where the money laundering aspects are quite complex. 
Secondly, the report notes that some sectors with designated non-financial businesses and professions, um, the implementation of AML checks in those sectors is a somewhat recent phenomenon, therefore may be insufficient. This is especially in those areas such as the uh, notaries and estate agents, usually in the acquisition of land, where there are associated money laundering risks in France, but indeed elsewhere in the world. It's quite common to use land or to attempt to use land to launder. Thirdly, the report praises the efforts made by authorities in France towards the production of a publicly accessible register of beneficial ownership. Now, this is something that is high up on political and policy agendas globally. We've mentioned it before in previous episodes of the podcast. However, the report notes that the rigour of the verification of beneficial ownership should be reinforced by the notification of identified discrepancies by relevant financial institutions or designated non-financial businesses and professions. Now that's it for that. Now we turn attention away from money laundering and to the broader scheme of uh, crime. And this week the National Crime Agency has published its annual plan for 2022-2023. I don't plan to say too much about this for now since it will be, along with two other important recent publications, the subject of a special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast to be released this coming Wednesday. However, I think it's worth flagging key elements, including the Home Secretary's strategic priorities, which are set out in the report, together with the Director General's operational priorities, which are again also in the report. Overall, of course, the National Crime Agency has a singular mission of leading the United Kingdom's fight to cut serious and organised crime. The Home Secretary's priorities, together with the Director General's operational priorities, are designed to support this overall mission statement. The Home Secretary's strategic policy priorities are fivefold. First, to protect the integrity of the United Kingdom against serious and organised crime groups and networks operating internationally at the border and online. Secondly, to dismantle the highest harm organised crime groups and networks. Thirdly, to lead and coordinate national law enforcement agencies in tackling serious and organised crime within the United Kingdom. Fourthly, to intensify the work of tackling the threat from hostile states, corrupt elites, cybercrime and economic crime. And of course, corrupt elites harks back or is certainly a nod to what is being done in relation to sanctions on individuals linked to the Putin regime in Russia. Fifthly, to play a full role in delivering the government's wider strategy of reducing crime and to respond to national security threats, threats to which the United Kingdom is exposed. In light of these five strategic priorities, the Director General's operational priorities are fourfold and designed to support these five strategic priorities of the Home Secretary. So first... The first of the Director General's operational priorities is to increase the National Crime Agency's understanding of and impact on the criminals causing the most harm. Secondly, to strengthen the leadership which the National Crime Agency has with partners and with the public. Thirdly, to build a workforce that meets the future, uh, future threats to which the United Kingdom is exposed. And fourthly, to improve the foundations on which they deliver operations. I suppose much of this could have been predicted in light of recent events nationally and internationally, but it is the implementation of these priorities 
at a time when financial constraints are very real due to falling tax revenues and other pressures which exist on the public purse. The implementation is going to be tricky. It's going to be difficult to satisfy unless budgets are raised. And this is a theme which is picked up also by the Public Accounts Committee um, uh, this week and also by an all-party all party parliamentary group. Now, on that point, over the coming week, a couple of things I want to flag um, before I end this week's podcast. The Public Accounts Committee has published its first report of the 2022-2023 parliamentary session on the COVID business support scheme established to help UK businesses impacted by the pandemic. The report is critical of the scale of fraud generated by the administration or possible maladministration of the scheme. The amount lost is estimated over, over £4 billion, but in fact could be higher because it's just an estimation. This is a significant loss to the taxpayer and it looks likely to be difficult, if not impossible, to recover because much of the payments that have been made have been layered, laundered, to take them away from the original source. Now, frankly, the report, it's so eye-watering and eye-opening in its commentary that it will be the subject of a special podcast on Wednesday of this week. So look out for that. Allied to this, and which will also be in the podcast, is commentary on that all-party uh, all parliamentary group on anti-corruption and responsible tax, uh, which published this week its Economic Crime Manifesto. This is worth adding to the special because it makes recommendations to counter-fraud measures. These will also be set against the National Crime Agency's annual plan for 2022-23, discussed earlier, to look at the strategic and coherent picture from this week's key publications. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you like this, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll hear from me again, well, certainly next week, but listen out for the special which will be published on Wednesday of this week. Bye.